Hey Changemakers, welcome to another episode of the Sacred Changemakers podcast. My name is Jane Warrillow and I have another great guest lined up for you today. Someone I think you're really gonna love. But before we enjoy a deep conversation together, I want to remind you why we're here. This podcast is about change and transformation, but not just any old change. We believe in change for good, which lies at the intersection of three things, purpose, impact, and prosperity for all. We want to encourage you to think a little wider about your own life from your personal and professional development to also ask the question, how can I make a meaningful impact with my life? It's time for us to find a way to live in resonance with each other and all living things. And at Sacred Changemakers, we're here to help, to build the foundations of a more equitable, loving and resonant world. So come with us on a journey as we go behind the scenes with people who are making a real difference in our world. Sometimes we'll be interviewing changemakers and sometimes we'll be leading deep dive conversations tackling the challenging issues of our times. But first, a word to our sponsor. Today's episode is sponsored by our sister company, Coaches Business School, who exist for one reason only, to help coaches fulfill their potential so they can live a meaningful life and grow their business in a way that is profitable, predictable, and purpose-driven. These are rare humans who have a deep purpose and a calling to make a difference, and we help them make a greater impact. If that sounds like something you would be interested in, you can find out more information at coachesbusinessschool.com. Okay, guys, so our guest on the podcast this week is visionary leader Janet Harvey, who is also a coach, an author, educator, speaker, and CEO of Invite Change LLC, a coaching organization for enterprises. She has trained leaders at Fortune 500 companies across six continents for nearly 25 years. As a result of her cause-driven work, Janet believes corporate leaders and coaches are the ideal groups to drive change due to the diversity of perspectives and tested approaches to problem solving. Janet is also an enterprise board director, certified mentor coach, ICF master certified coach, MCC, and an accredited coaching supervisor. Now, I've known Janet now for, gosh, well over a decade, and I truly respect her work in the world, which is why I am so looking forward to talking with her today. So let's do that. Let's bring in Janet. Welcome, Janet. <laughs> Thank you, Jane. It's such an inspiration to hear the manifestation of who I met, yes, more than a decade ago. And <laughs> you know to hear the resonance in your voice it's beautiful thank you oh, oh thank you and I'm really looking forward to our conversation today and I'm not just saying that I really truly am because it's been a while since we spoke mm -hmm. <laughs> okay so let me ask you our first question which you know our listeners have just heard your professional bio right which we're, we're kind of conditioned to do in these kind of situations and I'd love to get beneath the surface of that a little bit and and ask you if you'd be willing to share something about the real life human that is behind the bio I mean who is she Janet? <laughs> so the 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 phrase that I want to offer everybody is um, she'll be one and the same. And this really goes back to the day I was born and something my father said to the doctor, uh, who looked rather stricken as he came out of the operating room, evidently. Um, and all of this was because I have a port wine birthmark on my face. And I can tell you that what that struck in motion uh, I'm sure completely unconsciously on my father and my mother's part, and of course my three older brothers, was that I had no conscious awareness that I was different in a way that would be uncomfortable for other people until I went to school. And in that first day in kindergarten, I was, um, I had food thrown at me I was called a, a half-breed um, as a reference to indigenous people. Um, I had my dress torn. I had the ribbon pulled out of my hair. Um, 
It, it was, to say the least, a fairly traumatic experience. Mm. I did have one thing going for me, though. I had um, the great gift of being born with uh, a, a lot of capacity. I was verbal at six months, and I was already speaking in full sentences in kindergarten, which I'm sure added to some of the ridicule and bullying that I got because I simply was not one in the same in many, many different ways. And that's been true throughout my life. So I, I have this juxtaposition experience of um, being a highly creative, very engaged, full capacity, playful out in my life kind of person who at the same time knows and receives feedback of being too much. Um, I, I've actually had parents turn their children away from me who have been curious to say, mommy, what is that on her face? And they'll be embarrassed and uh, turn their back on me. Yeah. Or they'll say, why don't you do something about it? I I've actually had people come up to me at the gym in the locker room and say, would you like me to take you to the makeup counter so you can do something about hiding your birthmark? Oh. You know, it it's just stunning to me yeah. uh, how much difference separates us and creates emotions that are so um, penetrating without people realizing they're doing it. And, you know, many people, in fact, I probably wager that every person on the planet thinks they have some secret that they're keeping. Um, and it keeps that they, they would be embarrassed if they told it, and it would cause them to not have relationship that they want. And uh, the truth is, self-love is the only way forward. And it, it took me a long time in my life to, to get there. My early years were proving the world wrong. And then I had to prove the world right. And then I realized, wait a minute, it's not out there. <laughs> it's, in, it's, in, it's in my heart. It's in my soul. It's in my spirit. And unconditional self-love is what set me free. And um, that's what I'm on the planet for, to awaken and catalyze and energize unconditional love. Gosh, as you were speaking to that, I'd never really thought about, you know, the, your early years experience, you know, with your birthmark and, and looking so different. As you were talking, I was like, wow, that is just a stark, like, factual account of how we deal with difference in, a, in our culture. And I mean, it's startling on the one hand to hear you give voice to that so openly and so freely in the way that you did. So thank you for that. And yet there's a part of me that's going, yeah, but you shouldn't need to thank her because that's the way life should be. Why do we feel like we have to hide difference? Like, why is it why do we think you need to go and get some makeup from the makeup counter or go to a plastic surgeon? Why can't you just, why can't you just be you? So I'd love to ask you, Janet, how did that experience, which sounds incredibly traumatic, how did that shape you in your life? And I think the answer to the question, it would be different at different decades of my life. Mm. Um, I, I remember coming home and asking my mother, why do they think I'm different? And realizing that she really didn't have an answer. She just, you know, hugged me. And uh, mm. I, I think I got a glass of lemonade or something, you know, something to stop the tears. And, and she said, um, nobody can ever make you feel less than you are. And you are magnificent. Oh, still chokes me up to this oh. day. <laughs> and, and I believed her. Like, of course, a five-year-old wants to believe your parents. And um, so, you know, I went back the next day and it was, there was still a little bit of bullying there, but I, I kept being me. I kept, you know, relaxing yeah. into the, the, uh, my godmother always said I was a fae child, which is uh, uh, in the Irish tradition. Yeah. <laughs> Ascension's <laughs> being, yeah. yeah. I'm not sure she knew how prophetic she was being, um, but it, you know, as it turns out, I do have a good sixth sense. I have heightened intuition. I, I do know things before they happen, 
not big things. I'm not a, te a telepathic clairvoyant person, although probably um, the good Lord gave me something if I chose to go in that direction. And, and I say that because I think that's actually what I learned in those early years was anything I wanted, it was up to me. I had everything necessary inside of me to manifest the life that I wanted. I didn't have those words for it then. But, you know, if I, if I wanted to learn um, how to read something more advanced, all I had to do is ask the teacher for a book that was more advanced. If I wanted to um, skip a grade because I was bored with what I was doing, all I had to do was ask. And nobody told me to do that. Like somehow the life experience uh, turned my uh, attention inward and I deeply trusted a, a capacity I had. And I, um, I, I turned to sports. Uh, uh, I was a swimmer at five and a half. Um, I had to prove because I couldn't stand on the bottom of the pool. <laughs> they made me swim a hundred yards, which I did with no problem. I'd been swimming since I was about three in the Mississippi river I grew up in the middle of the United States and, um, and then I started skating and I found something in skating that I think was also very formative for me, which is expression. Mm. Um, music in my body was a blissful ecstatic experience. Uh, yeah, I competed and that was fine. And I got medals, but I was never really a competitor. What I loved was making people happy, making them smile um, and feeling what my body could do on skates and speed and in the air. And there was, there was a, an unlimited quality to my life experience in that way. And, and I also don't have very good distance eyesight. So I could never see the audience anyway. I was out there on the ice all by myself, you know, just having a grand old time. And, uh, and, and I did that for, oh, I don't know, um, from seven to uh, 16. My, my coach wanted me to go away to school and, and uh, be tutored and go away to train and had this long conversation with my parents. And here's, here's sort of one of the acts of betrayal that all happens in all families and all people. But my, my father and mother had some people over for dinner and they were talking about this. And my father just laughed and said, oh, she's not going. That's ridiculous. Um, which broke my heart because they'd been talking to me like it was a serious possibility. Mm. Yeah. So I, I, I cried myself to sleep that night and the next morning I got up and I said, you know what, I want to have an ordinary high school experience. So um, while I probably could go to the Olympics, that's not why I'm skating. So um, I'm going to stay home. And my father, he just couldn't leave let good enough alone, right? He looked me right in the eye and he said, you were never going anyway. <sighs> And that was the moment that I realized that this, this thing he'd said when I was born wasn't true. <laughs> Frankly, he'd said, I'm she'll we'll treat her as one and the same for his own discomfort of my difference, his own inability to cope with it. And this was the truth, right? So I finally, I got the truth. And it was another step in that uh, staging of maturing as a human being to say, we are always alone. Uh, we always have ourselves in that being alone. That's not lonely. It's actually incredibly enlivening. And the more I came into self-acceptance, the more I had an extraordinary access to others in my life, people I didn't know I can meet instantly because I don't have any projections on them. <laughs> I don't have any reason to shape shift or modify or adjust or adapt in some way. Um, yeah, that doesn't mean not be respectful or um, have decorum, the things that we all learn as, you know, social norms. But what it does mean is not holding back who I am. And I had many more lessons to learn about that, but it set in motion really early for me. And I had to learn to modulate and, you know, yeah, I had my days when my ego got out of control. It's like, I'm smart, gosh, darn it. <laughs> And uh, yeah, okay, well, just because you're smart doesn't mean you're going to get to do that project or be on that team or be part of that uh, community thing that's going on. And so out of the rejection, I learned, I learned how to be more available. And 
hopefully the story I'm describing, people can find the, their own version of it. I, I sort of, I always do critical incidents work with leaders to say, you know, what were those seminal moments in each decade of your life that have formed the principles that you live by now? And how are they transforming in this moment that brought you to coaching? Because there's something else you're wanting to manifest in life. And how will you live into that and embody that? And what are you ready to set down? Right? We're always in that transformative state, always, whether we're conscious of it or not. I love that. I do. And oh my gosh, what a journey you've been on. <laughs> and these are things I didn't know about you at all. So it's so great to dig into them. Now, our title today is The Reasons We Don't and the Resources Needed to Invite Change. Now, I don't want to invite you to answer the whole title right away. I just want to take the last two words for the, be for the beginning, because I know this is also the name of your company, Invite Change. And I remember the first time we met and you told me your company name, Invite Change. I loved it because for me, there's something quite confronting about the word change. And, and I've noticed this with a lot of my clients, like it's almost like humans don't really like change, <laughs> you know, especially if we don't choose it for ourselves, but invite change. There's a real openness in that energy around invite change. And I just wondered if that was intentional when you actually kind of defined what you were going to bring to the world extremely intentional yeah you know I, I you're right people hold a belief system and and it's a deeply worn groove in their neural pathways that change is threatening mm. I, I think my experience uh, not just think I I emotionally and physically sense that the experience most people are expressing is the uncertainty, the discomfort of uncertainty on the other side of the change. Mm. It gets projected on the change that's presented because there more often than not is so little spoken to what's on the other side of it. And our biology, our neurobiology is predisposed to consider everything a threat till it's not, that it doesn't line up with the filters that got us to where we are. Mm. This is what happened in kindergarten. <laughs> My right. neuro filters were in acceptance. <laughs> and all of a sudden it was like, what, the, what is this? <laughs> right. So I, I realized that um, I, from the very beginning of my life have been in a state of, I can either be in a victim pity party here, or I can decide to accept responsibility for my life and my life experience. And that means I must seek out and invite the experience I want. Mm -hmm. And that's always going to be changing because I'm a living, growing, you know, dynamic species on the planet. And I'm always going to want something else, which by definition means I'm always wanting change. I may not always know exactly what it is, but I'm never going to know it if I don't take responsibility for imagining what could transform. And in that imagining, I begin to realize, oh, that lines up with my values. Oh, that lines up with something that I, I had a little taste of over here and I want to amplify it now. And the minute that that gets stimulated, I realize that the fear and uncertainty starts to soften. Like there's another, there's something at the level of the soul that comes in and says, ah, yes, okay, readiness, let's go, let's go make this happen. And the energy carries uh, through the fear, risking beyond the fear, because I know that I can, I know that I've chosen it. So I, I've actually had people, Jane, this won't surprise you, who have said, why'd you name your company Change? <laughs> And I'll, and I'll look at them and smile. And then, what, what, what's so funny? <laughs> and I'll say, well, I didn't, didn't name the company change. You didn't? <laughs> and I'll hold up my book or, you know, we'll be looking at the website or they'll be looking at my business card yep. and all of a sudden I'll go, oh my goodness. <laughs> right. 
I totally skipped over the word invite. And I mean, that's, that's just how deeply grooved change is in people's uh, psyches as something to be afraid of. And the minute that reticular activating system is operating, we're blinded to see possibility. It takes a lot of deliberateness to shift that. And it's possible for all of us. We wouldn't have created and manifested in, as the human race in the way that we have without it. But it does seem to uh, be quite a tension of presence in the world for people. Yeah. And it sounds like, you know, you were inviting change at a very young age into your life, very intentionally. So what made you bring this to be your like career path, your, your work that you bring to the world? What, what was the kind of inflection point that made you go, okay, I, I'm learning a lot here about this in my life. And there are things that are working and things that insights that I'm learning. Now I want to help inspire and invite other people into change that can be beneficial for them. So I've made an assumption there. That that's kind of where you went, but I'd love to hear your story, your version of that. I was standing on the back deck of my home in San Francisco. I'm uh, at this point, 14 years into my career uh, in financial services and very successful. You know, have the house, have the bank account, have the investments, have a big circle of friends, have the corporate title, have a nice car. I've traveled all over the world. And I'm standing on my deck saying to myself, truly, this cannot be all there is. It just can't be all there is. <laughs> and the second thought that came in was, and I think they're about to fire me. Oh. <laughs> and I and I'm like, whoa, well, like, where did that come from? So I made a cup of tea and I went down the steps and I sat in the back garden for a little while. And I'd created this really beautiful little sanctuary with a waterfall and lots of landscaping. It was kind of like my oasis in the middle of the city. And I, and I realized that I had, I had come to the end of the road. I had done extraordinary. I mean, like the opportunities that I had been given and that I asked to do and my colleagues were very uncomfortable with like the, the project that everybody thought was too risky or too visible or and too hard. Uh, Janet was always the one who was uh, put forward to go and do it. You know, I, I built this surveillance department after the financial crash and um, Chuck wanted to build a mutual fund company. And so I, I did that in three and a half months. And then we built the mutual fund marketplace and like project after project after project. And the last one before I left was something that uh, changed 6,000 people's lives. Chuck walked into the boardroom one day and said, all those people we have in our branch offices who are customer service agents, I want to retrain them to be salespeople and they're going to sell financial planning so that we can be the custodian of our customers' dreams. Mm. <laughs> well, it was dead silence for <laughs> at least two minutes. I, it felt like an hour uh, while we were all recovering because, uh, I mean, even a year into the project, I'd have people say to me, does Chuck know you're doing this? <laughs> was you'd never have to sell if you work for our organization right. so needless to say this was this was quite a big initiative and um coaching was starting to emerge in the scene and uh very much present in the san francisco bay area and i brought in some colleagues that i knew and we started playing around with it and we did a basically designed a team coaching approach to the change process and i watched senior vice president sitting side by side with branch office receptionists, having a respectful yet heated and constructive co-creative discussion. Yeah. And as they're redesigning the customer experience and they did it quickly and they did it with integrity and they did it with great creativity. And they were, they had to apply to come and do this because they had to run the branch while they were also doing the pilot work side by side. These original 100 people um, ended up doing the presentation to the board and they adopted the designs that we'd come up with and recommended and then they became the coaches for the other 5,900. We kept all but 2% of the workforce and 40% of that workforce moved from their local city, their branch office to a call center. Mm. 
Like we utterly transformed these people's lives, like, like wholesale. I couldn't believe it. I just couldn't believe it. It was, it was phenomenal. And I knew like my heart knew, Oh, this is why, this is why you've been here. This is what you're supposed to be doing. And, and I didn't make any bones about it. Like I was really clear that as an organization, we needed to adopt this way of thinking. Well, guess what? (laughs) I (laughs) spoke to the bee's nest. (laughs) So the next morning, after my time in the garden, I walked into my boss's office and I said, Hey, you got a minute? He goes, yeah, sure. So I closed the door and I can tell he's going, "Uh Oh, (laughs) (laughs) I, and I didn't sit down. I put my hands on the back of the chair in front of his desk. And I looked him right in the eye and I said, I was sitting on my back deck uh, yesterday and I had this thought and I want to share it with you that um, you're getting ready to fire me. And before you do that, I want to tell you what I want for my severance and uh, what I'm available to do for the organization for another year to finish what we're doing and uh, complete my time here because I know what I want to do next and I'm unwilling to be anything less than who I am to stay in the organization. Wow. And he pushed his chair back and he smiled and he said, I think those are all very reasonable. I'll get back to you tomorrow morning and let you know. No discussion, no debate, no talking me out of it, none of it. It was just like that moment of sentience as I stood there in myself, reflecting in myself, it came in. It was so clear that that transition was ready to happen. And it was completely supported, like extraordinarily well. It threw me a great party. (laughs) You know, I still have close relationships with so many colleagues from that time of my life. And and every day I'm grateful for all the things that I learned there. It was like, it's like the best MBA I could have ever had. And I became an entrepreneur in 1996 and I've never looked back. Oh my gosh, 1996, up the same year that I went into business for myself. So (laughs) amazing. But that just when you were when you were recounting the story of going back into your boss, you see, I think lots of people have the feeling you had on the back porch. Mm. But in my experience, not that many people then move into action with the courage and the confidence and the commitment and the determination that you were showing there by just speaking, finding your voice to begin with, which can sometimes be challenging, and then really speaking. What sounded to me, as you said it, I got goosebumps, Janet, was your soul truth. Like not just your intellectual truth, your soul truth. You knew what was next for you and you were darn sure you were going to get it. Yeah. And I, I really want to honor that and respect that because I think that that's different to me. Uh, in my experience, not many people act in that way. So I love that you did that. And we're also grateful that you did because I know the impact you're making in the world. <laughs> and I do see you as a, you know, somebody that I really, a colleague that I really look up to. Let me say that because I, I believe you are masterful when it comes to change, Janet. So what have you learned about change over the years that you've Mm. been working in this space? Thank you for the beautiful reflection, Jane. And um, what have I learned about change? Mm. Mm -hmm. That it doesn't happen alone. So, you know, even in the moment of that conversation, that change was empowered by my boss who saw my soul voice speak. He knew the truth of it. He knew it both for the organization and for me, and he was agency for me. And, um, you know, I went into that conversation with no uh, cognitive sense whether he would say yes or no. It just didn't matter. I didn't have any choice. It was important to my soul that I say that, that I take that stand for myself. And the fact that it made other people uncomfortable about the way I was being, then I was done with keeping that company. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, it was time for me to find a different set of peeps, a different path to be on. And 
when the soul speaks to us in those quiet moments, and I think that's the first thing I would say is we have to have quiet moments. Yeah. We will not make change from guilt. That's a James Baldwin quote. I was just talking about that earlier today, you know, (laughs) guilt's a peculiar emotion. And when we're feeling guilty about something, which I was starting to feel guilty that my colleagues were feeling intimidated by me. And I was like, wait a minute, (laughs) that just doesn't sit right. It's diminishing of them and of me that that doesn't sit with my value system of deep respect and generosity with people. And ultimately it's in the quiet moments that I could pull back anything that I thought I had to do about it other than to satisfy my heart. And in, in that moment of quiet reflection is where I could tap my own resource. So yes, it's about finding the voice, but first it's hearing it. It's hearing the voice and recognizing what's ego and what's soul. And what is the, what is the acceptance I'd have Whatever answer he gave, it almost wouldn't matter. If they denied it, I still would have left. Mm. I was done. Yeah. I was done. So the second piece, I think, of that story, and it's it's continued as I've, you know, I I started a little company and I went to graduate school and that little company got too busy. So I added some partners and created another company. And we did that for a while. And I'm a million miler and airplanes and nearly killed myself, blew out my adrenals, had to take a year sabbatical and started over again, which is when I, I created the company Invite Change was the start over after the two starts of what am I doing here? I've just recreated my corporate career. This is stupid. Right. <laughs> so um, false starts, right? Listen to the right. quiet voice and expect <laughs> the false starts. <laughs> They're going to happen. Um, I think... In terms of my own consciousness, I realized that my patterns are my patterns are my patterns. I just get to do them a little more sophisticated each time I go around the wheel. Right. <laughs> so um, false starts just mean that was the experiment. Um, I'm definitely a devotee of Thomas Edison. If it takes me 99 times to get the hundredth to be the light bulb, I'm okay with that. Right. <laughs> I'm really okay with that because... I have all this capacity. I'm going to use it. If, if I have any dying wish, it will be that I have used every ounce of my ability to do something useful. That's respectful of what my soul came here for. And um, I live my life that way every single day. And maybe that would be the third piece of that. I would say is to be deliberate, to have intent, right? What, what's the inspired experience that I want to have in my life? What's the feeling of it? What's the sensation of it? To speak that, to declare it, to to let the people that mean something to me in my life know that that's what I'm standing for and call their agency into support of it. I think um, many people that I work with as a coach um, are way too quiet. You know, they think in the shower about what they want and it's a magnificent vision they have, but then they never tell anybody. And so there isn't anyone there to cheer them on and to say, oh, I have somebody I can introduce you to or whatever the situation might be, that it stays inside and doesn't get expressed. And I think finding the, the yes, partially courage, but it's also finding the resolve to live our lives that we've had this great blessing to incarnate to. And when that's bigger than any voice of doubt, unstoppable. Love that. And I'm kind of over here like a little bit speechless because so much of what you said there is totally in alignment with my own life. The false starts, the business, the first business, like really reproducing corporate life again, creating a (laughs) J-O-B. So I did the same thing. I traveled all around the world, burnt myself out, had loads of air miles, you know, and it's, uh, I think it's something that, because we're still, so one of the things that I've thought back on is I was still in the employee mindset Although I'd made a decision to run my own business, I hadn't actually upgraded like my energy field to match that. (laughs) So it was kind of interesting. I hadn't gone on this because I do believe there's like different mindsets that, that kind of work for us. And, you know, 
right now for me, I've gone from the employee mindset to, I suppose, the, the business owner or entrepreneur. Then there's the coaching mindset. And now I'm much more in this kind of like, I don't know what I'd call it, but more, more of an investor mindset. And I don't mean that necessarily in the financial perspective, but in the idea of building assets that can go out into the world and kind of where am I investing my time and my energy and is it in the right places so fascinating to listen to you there Janet really Mm -hmm. is and I love what you said because I think there are parallels for a lot of our audience members I'm absolutely certain of it yeah and so I want to kind of circle back to our title because I know you have some really unique ideas about the reasons we don't change and the resources we need to invite change and I'd love you to kind of take us down that path with you I mean walk us through what those elements are for you because for me I mean when you mentioned them just before we turned the recording on I had the sense that there could be quite a few members of our audience that these could be the keys that unlock some stuckness for them either in their change making whether they're a leader or a coach or a consultant whatever they are even just in their own lives these pieces could really unlock some potential so I'd love you to share with us. I will do that. And I want to reflect back to that. Maybe the word is cultivator. Mm, I think you you cultivate goodness, you cultivate (laughs) inspiration, you cultivate vision, you cultivate possibility. And you, Mm. you, my experience of you, that's always been true. So there you go. Maybe that's an option to invest in. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) So, um, a bit of context. I have been, um, during the pandemic, I was very busy. Uh, I'm jealous of all the people that got to do yoga four times a day. That wasn't my experience. Um, and uh, in some ways, it was such a gift to be able to use my resource to give back and support lots of people who were very stressed and suffering throughout the year. And I know many of us as coaches and consultants were doing that. When I, in 2021, by contrast, I have found myself in a bit of suspended animation working as things kind of moving along, but, but at my soul level, really sensing that we're at an inflection point in the world. And there is um, at this moment in time, a necessity to think a bit more deeply. You use the phrase, you know, raising your vibration. Yes. Um, quiet time to reflect, to to take stock, what matters, what's really important to me. Have I constructed a life and a livelihood that is respectful of my being and of what I want for my family and my community? And, you know, we've called it the great resignation, but I actually think it's the great reimagining that people are recognizing that so much of their autopilot life really wasn't satisfying at all and in some ways quite hurtful to them. And they've had a quiet space to, to come to some reconciliation. And so I, I got to thinking, you know, what, what is it? What is it that I consistently hear is in the way for people of inviting change in the way that we've been talking about it so far? And, and the first word that came was courage. And there's a little bit of a difference between bravery and courage for me. It's a brave act comes from inside of me that I I accept that I have bravery. Courage is something somebody else assigns often. That person is a courageous being. And I got to thinking about who who do we see as courageous and what are the character qualities that we, that underpin our evaluation of them as courageous and moral and mental strength was what came to me. And I realized that you, you, maybe you've had this experience. I, I can, I can feel the places when I fall asleep to myself and I'm efforting and I, I'm recognizing that my mental strength is waning, right? I'm not getting enough renewal time. I'm not filling my gas tank enough and I'm starting to run on fuels on fumes, sorry. And And that's when I make mistakes. That's when I have a crossword or 
I am impatient or I miss something really important and I make a decision and oh my God, the consequences are horrible. And I'm, I actually don't have the moral strength because my mental and physical strength isn't there. How can I be courageous if I'm actually not attending to my own um, strength building process? So that's the reason that we don't invite change. We don't actually have access to our moral and mental strength and, and enough um, quality and content to move forward. So then the second was, well, if I don't have enough courage to move forward, I probably don't think I have any choices. And this is what trauma does, right? Uh, it, it's unexpected, it's dramatic, it's isolating. We think we don't have access to any resources. We just feel like we're standing still stuck. We don't believe we have choice. And yet, you know, we know the story of Viktor Frankl in that concentration camps. He knew he had a choice to take another breath and another breath and another breath and to go inside of his mind and to remember um, his family and to remember um, humanity and to have compassion in his heart, all of the things. Now that's a very extreme example. And yet every single one of us, when we're having a struggle that we're facing, it can feel like life and death. Absolutely. I, I've had that experience of sobbing on the floor going, this just can't be. And then the next breath, drying my tears, taking a breath and realizing I am responsible for the choices I make for how I relate to the conditions of my life. Every single moment is a choice. And that's what I define as sovereignty. Sovereignty is self-ruling. I'm not talking about the geopolitical use of that, but um, a much more interior process of understanding that I have that responsibility. And with the responsibility, I have the privilege of being a human being. And of course, that means that I must learn to challenge myself to risk beyond my fear because my fear has come out of my habits and my preferences and my assumptions and my biases. And I've constructed this beautiful life that starts to feel like a prison because it has so limited me. <sighs> All right, I have courage, I've rested. I realize I'm responsible. What's the place that I wanna step toward? What's the challenge I wanna give myself? And I'm doing one right now. I'm, I live in this 62 year old body uh, that's gone through menopause and I don't hardly recognize the shape or where things are located in my physical body. <laughs> so I'm, um, I'm challenging myself to work with a trainer to help me. What does it look like in a 60 year old body to be physically fit? Because uh, it's not, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a former athlete for God's sakes. How did this happen? <laughs> <laughs> I'm afraid I can't do it. Right. And I could feel the places where I was afraid to, to go take a long hike. You know, can I, can I make it? Could I, could I do a 15 mile hike 10 years ago? I would have never doubted myself there. So it's not that we don't have doubts. It's that we must choose to step towards it and say, what's the evidence that I can't risk beyond fear means taking responsibility to see Ah, what's the first step and the next step after that? And to me, that's the mindset of being self-civil. Um, you know, the, the betrayal I give of my physicality that's come out of putting it in the back seat in favor of other things that I've put my attention to. And I woke up one day and my body had changed like, whoa, wait a second. You know, that's an act of betrayal to my own sense of well-being and and I think when I recognize that I'm responsible for it, I can start to have a bit more civility in my own being. All right, I have three choices I could make right now. Do I meditate? Do I um, do some stretching? Do I have breakfast? Well, I wanna do all three. Okay, which order am I going to do them in? That's a deliberate act. Or I could get caught up in my judgment, which is the voice you heard just a minute ago. Like, you know, you're 62. You're not supposed to be doing that. <laughs> but fortunately, you know, I, I have a different relationship with judgment. I, I'm grateful for it. It's a discernment that can say, okay, 
I know I'm disturbed by the shape of this body, but it's not going to be any different if I don't accept some choice here to move forward in a different way. And so I worked out and I had some breakfast and then I had a meditation. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm going to be doing that for a little while until I build a new muscle. (laughs) And it doesn't do any good to be in the pity party, right? The the judgment of myself and, and I have it. I had those moments and I had another voice that said, Mm-mm. <laughs> it's so interesting because we're recording this. Um, this is just for the audience. We're recording this um, in the week just after the uh, climate change summit in Glasgow. And as I'm listening to you talking here about these, these five reasons we don't change that are also the resources we need to invite change, right? I'm looking at your, I'm I'm like listening to your words and I'm thinking, wow, like if we brought that into the summit, like this is something that feels to me that it works at all levels of system. And I know you just described it there in a very individual way, but it seems to me these are, catalysts that can unlock change like big global change that potentially I could argue that the world needs right now (laughs) yeah I was really struck by a BBC story I heard this morning uh coming out of the COP26 meetings and um Janet Yellen is a hero of mine I think she's just a brilliant economist and that's my classic training is in economics right and And what I love about macroeconomics is it is systems thinking and it is about being able to see the interconnectedness. And if you pull this lever, what's the ripple effect in these other four levers? And um, that's a really important construct. Um, You know, the the reporting about we have cascades of crises and and and, you know, my my systems training would say, what if nothing's broken? What if the system is rebalancing itself? We might not like it, right? It might be uncomfortable to us. And we don't don't appreciate the consequence of the rebalancing, but rebalancing it is doing. Mm -hmm. And it's actually teaching us how to think about it. So here we have the financiers who um, came together and said, we make a commitment to rethink how we're allocating investments away from fossil fuels and into um, renewable sources of energy and using that in an integrated way into all of the commercial enterprises. And of course, the Doubting Thomas skeptic voice say, well, that's BS, it's just reporting, it doesn't mean they're actually going to do it. Well, that's human nature, right? We, We have history, we have rear view mirror, that's going to look at those words and immediately be skeptical of them. It can't be true because I don't have any past evidence to make it true. Well, if we stay in that stance, we're going to continue going around the mulberry bush. (laughs) As we are. Yes, yes. And the alternative is, so if they've been courageous to make the declaration, then we have a choice. We have a responsibility to make, which is you've made this commitment now Here's how we want to see, and this is what we're going to pay attention to as evidence that you are acting on the commitment you've made in a meaningful way. Mm. Yeah, that's our responsibility. And we do that by whether we invest in those funds or not. And I guarantee you, they will make different choices if people don't bring their money there. That's just how it works. (laughs) So, you know, and that's a mindset shift. Right. We can either be incivil, uncivil, whatever the bloody word is, yeah. <laughs> and skeptical, or we can say, okay, let's be trustworthy together. Um, you know, I, I suppose in governments we always talk about trust and verify, but isn't that true in any system? Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. <laughs> and you said a word there, you said a word there that I've just got to speak to because you said, you know, can we do that together? And I think that word together is sometimes what's missing from the conversation because everybody's trying to defend individual economies or cultures or countries or whatever it is, politics. Um, And really, it's almost like, for me, I'd love to elevate 
the consciousness of the conversation <laughs> let's just let's just rise up a little bit yeah. and and talk and 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 embrace a different perspective than just this me versus you yeah kind of exactly. conflict that we're in here because that that can never win because what you just said there Janet the together piece and it goes right back full circle to what you were saying about difference right at the very beginning of your life until we can accept and embrace difference until we realize we're all in this same boat together I I worry about well I do still worry I'll be very honest I do worry about our future and I don't worry about the future of the world because of what you've just said I think the world is rebalancing and that might mean that humans you know it rebalances to a point where we can no longer live in this atmosphere anymore that's right and I, I get that totally I do and I wish I wish actually people could get that in their being yes if they yes. actually got to the risk to their mortality yeah I believe we would have a different level of moral and mental strength, but they don't believe it. They don't believe that that is the risk. Look at what's happened with the pandemic. Yeah. And the, the insistence that it's not real is a defense. It's protecting the terror of not being able to be in charge and in control of themselves. They're, they're giving over to pluralism, to collective process is so intimidating that they will risk um, suicide. Because frankly, it is you know, going, going out in the world without a mask, shoulder to shoulder with a bunch of people in the middle of a pandemic is suicide. Yeah, that's the risk. And they don't see it that way. I understand that. I have compassion for it. I, I think it's quite stupid, personally. Right. <laughs> but, you know, I, I think that the, there is a both and here. We can have the respect of my right to choose, but we also have a responsibility because we live in a society. Yeah. And that means that we make uh, adjustments. We, we find the intersection points and we allow space for yes and, both and, whichever way you want to think about that. We're so caught in dualistic thinking. Yes, no, right, wrong, black, white. That's not, that's not what the body knows. That's not what the earth knows. <laughs> the earth knows unity. It doesn't know duality. We made that up. And <laughs> it really is in our way. Yeah, I think we made a lot of things up that are getting in our way. Right <laughs> <now>. <laughs> Which is, you know, yeah, and... You know, I'd love to hear your sense here because we're talking about some things now that does have the uh, the the uh, potential of polarizing people that are listening. So I'd just like to say that if you're listening to this and you have an opposite view, that's okay. Like it really is okay because what we're talking about here is embracing difference. And one thing that I want to ask you, Janet, because in some ways I feel that the changes that we're being invited to, let's use your language at the moment, that I feel the pull towards um, globally in the world, let's say, are, um, I'm going to call them core, fundamental, foundational level, identity level kind of changes. And I mean this at all different levels of system, because when I think about so I'll just say the West for want of a better word, but, and the individualistic cultures that we have in the West, in Europe and in North America and Canada and stuff, you know, I think that there is a need for us to move more to the collective kind of feel to really get a sense of what you were just describing there. Mm -hmm. I get that. I get that, 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 the ask is potentially a big one here because we have defined a world and created a world that we're now starting to realize is not sustainable. Let's say that. So I'd love to ask you because, you know, you're so masterful in this space of change and you've, you know, you've been on our planet now 62 years. So <laughs> my sense is, you know, what's, what's your vision? for a better world, what, what would that be? Well, that's a big question now. I, I know, might... you know. 
you know, to your, to your invitation to your audience. And I hope they will weigh in. Yes. Uh, the, what's important, I think, in a better world is that people realize that they, they are incarnated into a body and they have a, they, they are dying the day they're born. Right. We don't know that as a child. We don't know it as a young adult. In fact, most of us don't even realize it until we actually are physically dying. And I think that's actually a real problem. Um, whether we're talking about overpopulation or poor food security or uh, not sharing vaccines with countries that don't have money to buy them or um, an economic system, it doesn't matter. We could talk at individual or collective level. We don't actually realize how precious incarnation is and that every choice we make has a ripple effect to everybody else around us, whether we're awake to it or not, it's happening. So a better world to me is an awake world. One that is, um, you know, the aboriginals, um, the indigenous peoples of North America, the shamans of Siberia, they all understood the seven generation thinking that, um, I must take into account the one who is not yet here. What will the ripple effect of this decision be? And we've become so attuned to the instant gratification of the moment that we've forgotten that we live, we live in a, in a living, breathing ecosystem and everything we do has impact. We don't take responsibility for that. And we're suffering the consequences of that irresponsibility right now in many shapes and forms. So to me, if we can slow down and wake up a little bit, and then back to what we talked about, I don't know, a half hour or so ago or so, uh, we must find a voice that's bigger than the personal selves, that is able to say what we see. And then together, um, how do we imagine, how do we reimagine the next period of time? How do we do that in a way that is kind and wise and um, embracing of all that is? Uh, that's a bit of a Buddhist concept, but I, I think that it's closer to the path of unity as I think about it, that, that all of us fit. We all belong here. And we are caught in the, I, I'm only okay if I'm better than you instead of the, the Ubuntu principle, for example, is I can only be fully me if you can be fully you. And we're not living that in our society today. And uh, I don't, I'm not sure anywhere. Hmm. That was beautifully said. I really like that parallel you drew there. So Janet, I'm noticing the time and I'm just going to ask you one final question. If there's something that you wished we'd cover today in our conversation perhaps something maybe some words of wisdom that you'd like to leave our audience with what might it be mm. well thank you for the conversation it's been delicious and uh, a, a joy to explore in all the breadth and depth that we've done and I think that the message I keep coming back to is is love mm. and I I know people Many people are suffering. They're suffering internally. They're, they're suffering externally in their lives in some ways. They might be suffering in their frustration and anger and disappointment. They might be suffering in their, um, in their sense of loss uh, in any way that that's defined. And yet they're here. You're here. And that means that somehow, some way, this existence on planet Earth loves you. So love yourself, because at the end of the day, that's how you invite change. Wow. Thank you, Janet. My goodness. I have so enjoyed our conversation today. And I just know that our listeners will feel so inspired after listening to you. So thank you so much. Blessings.
Okay, guys, that's all we have time for today. Thank you so much for listening in. Before we go, I want to remind you that all the resources and links for our guests are in the show notes at sacredchangemakers.com. And a big thank you to our sponsors, Coaches Business School, who are helping us to make a direct impact aligned with the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, all visible on our website. And if you're a coach wanting to grow your impact, you will need to understand how to build a business that works today. So check out Coaches Business School's unique frameworks and methods to help you grow your business in a way that works for you and your clients and helps make a meaningful difference in our world. Hashtag transition team. It's time to build a bridge from what you want in life to include what the world needs from you. Together, we can make a meaningful difference. Again, you can find us at sacredchangemakers.com and our sponsors at coachesbusinessschool.com. And if our episode resonated with you today, I hope you'll consider joining us. So for now, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your intention and your efforts to make our world a better place. Until next time, lots of love.